everyone, Liz Collin here. Thank you for joining us and welcome to Liz Collin Reports, a place for truth and meaningful Minnesota conversations. On the podcast today, we are focusing on drugs in Duluth as the heroin fentanyl crisis sadly plays out statewide. The situation up north, the topic of a recent Alpha News special report. Take a listen. The first time you ever use this drug, you can die. You can get probably three to four times as much money selling heroin or fentanyl here as you could make, you know, selling it on the street in Chicago. We dug into the statistics. In Minnesota alone, there were 654 opioid-involved deaths in 2020, a nearly 60% increase from 2019. It's a story that has in many ways flown under the radar recently as the pandemic made headlines the last couple of years. Access to treatment and continued isolation due to lockdowns and mandates are blamed by many as reasons behind the skyrocketing numbers. As part of our reporting in St. Louis County, we found 29 people died of opioid overdoses in 2020. That climbed to 42 people last year. Even this year, already 11 people have died up north from those ODs. Those are the actual fatal cases, not the hundreds of non-fatal overdoses that Narcan and other life-saving measures have turned around. I wanted to bring in another voice to this story, a Minnesota mom who I first met in 2016 under horrible and heartbreaking circumstances. Colleen Ronnie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. And Colleen, it was your son, Luke, who was uh, just 20 years old, 30 days, I know, before he would have turned 21, who died of a heroin overdose that January in 2016. Tell us about Luke. I hate to focus so much on how people died, but would rather hear about how they lived. But but talk about that, the kind of boy and the kind of young man that he was growing up to be. He was, he was an extraordinary young man. He was um, not shy. He was very outgoing. Um, he was kind and sensitive and inclusive to a fault where we, our house was kind of grand central in terms of you know, having kids here, which I liked because I felt like I could keep my eyes on things. And I knew all of Luke's friends. Um, He was, he was charming and funny and handsome. And we miss him every day. And such a bright smile that I know um, it's hard to forget when you even just see a, see a picture of him. Yeah. Um, that million dollar smile and those and those fabulous eyebrows. <laughs> uh, all of that. And I know you have always been candid, too, about his background, but he struggled with anxiety and depression. And you talk about this when he goes to college, when you discover that he's using heroin. Yeah. You know, for Luke, he had he had always struggled with anxiety that he got a really raw deal in terms of his genetic makeup with substance use disorder on his dad's side of the family and mental health stuff on my side of the family. So he struggled from a very early age um, with anxiety. And, you know, he was always being cared for in terms of what are your coping mechanisms, Luke? I mean, he, he had a great psychiatrist. He had good counseling. He was being provided with a lot of really good tools. Um, but when he got into high school, it just seemed to accelerate and it wasn't as manageable for him, which then brought on some depression because he was anxious all the time. Um, and then he had his wisdom teeth out and he was prescribed opioids. And that was at a time when doctors really were not knowledgeable about the risks. I certainly was nowhere near educated about 
how quickly opioids can impact the brain and how highly addictive they are. So I think anytime you take a young person, and there's a lot of young people right now struggling with with mental health, um, but if you give them something prescribed or not that helps relieve that anxiety or that those feelings of sadness, I think it just really can set things in motion in a, in a very negative direction. And, and that's what happened to Luke. He was prescribed opioids. He ended up getting an infection and then he was prescribed more opioids. And it it only takes three to five days for um, the brain to start changing when you're consuming that particular substance. So Luke was way into it and he did a really good job of just hiding it. We didn't recognize that we knew something was wrong, but it's really hard to pinpoint, um, especially in, in an early use situation like that. And so the signs were very subtle. Um, and it was when Luke went off to school that it just became unmanageable for him. And he quickly reached out to his brother and said, I, I need help. I'm in trouble and I need help. So we did all we could to help him. It wasn't enough. So he states away at college. And that's what I think is is remarkable about this story, too. He's honest with you guys pretty much the the, the whole way. When he he's reaching out, I have a problem. And you're doing everything you can, of course, as a mom to help him. You're even reporting his dealer to the police um, when this addiction really sets in as far as heroin is concerned. You're following him as he buys drugs and and reporting all this, doing everything you can. Yeah, I wish that would have been enough. I mean, you know, it's just a really it's a it's a really insidious disease. And it was. You know, again, people say, well, didn't you see the signs? Couldn't you see even, you know, even though Luke was getting help and he wanted to be getting better and he was ashamed of the fact that all the things we were doing weren't helping him enough. He still couldn't stop using heroin. And, and that drug, I mean, for people who have been saddled with an addiction to opiates, the the relapse rate for people who want to stop using is 95%, which, which was another thing that we had no clue. So our expectations weren't really in line. I think we're getting better and better at, at helping people understand this um, out of necessity, sadly. Um, so yeah, it, it was scary. And I was determined to do everything I could. So following Luke's dealer, um, when he relapsed the summer before he died, was one of the things I did. It, that was a frustrating process, but she's in jail now, which is a good thing. There is a lot more to what happens next as you seek justice in Luke's death, but it is a woman, Beverly Burrell, who's arrested and eventually uh, charged, uh, but her heroin is linked to other deaths in the months that follow. Yeah, you know, from the time it it was a weird thing because Luke was away at school and doing really well. He was um, at Arizona State University and he called me and said, Mom, you have to go to the police. This boy from Eden Prairie died and I know who he got the drugs from. And 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 Luke really, you know, that was the weird dichotomy with this is that he he understood that not having dealers out there 
was a was a wonderful thing in terms of people being able to maintain their recovery. And so a, a boy from Eden Prairie died and Luke didn't think that that was right and wanted you know, that person to be held accountable. So I did go to the police and it was unfortunate because several months passed, um, many, many months passed before Beverly Burrell was arrested. And there were five deaths that they were able to charge her for, um, third degree homicide and five young men's deaths. Uh, there were others that they couldn't charge her with because they didn't have enough evidence. But but she basically was a serial killer because she knew every time somebody died that she had sold drugs to, and she just kept right at it. The headlines talked about Hennepin County's most prolific dealer uh, finally being behind bars. And it's kind of when we see that third degree murder charge really used on a, on a scale like that. And I know you have some interesting perspective um, in the piece uh, that we're focusing on with the, the situation up north in Duluth. The St. Louis County attorney talked to us about working on six such third degree murder cases right now, but focusing on this chain of custody of drugs um, where someone dies you know, usually when fentanyl is involved, of course. But I know you have some perspective about when it comes to that charge, as more and more young people we're seeing are getting caught up in this. Yeah, you know, with the prevalence of fentanyl, which is um, a synthetic opiate, it's 50 to 100 times more powerful than heroin. Um, that is that is the substance right now that is that is causing the most deaths across the country, but also here in Minnesota. And because fentanyl is so easy to um, mix into other substances, it's it's being found in cocaine, it's being found in methamphetamine. The problem with that whole chain of custody um, approach is that all what we're going to end up doing is charging a whole lot of young people who go and purchase together, use together. Um, we're not going to get at the dealers, the the really the people who are simply doing this as a business, not not as a recreational thing or because they are sick with substance use disorder. So I, I just believe that will tax our systems, our our judicial systems, our 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 correctional facilities. We need to help people who have this disease, and we need to incarcerate these people who are selling drugs simply as a business entity. You're listening to Colleen Ronnie, a Minnesota mom who lost her son six years ago to a heroin overdose and who's been focused on educating people ever since to prevent more tragedies. You have spent, dare I say, every day since Luke's death six years ago fighting to change the outcome. We'll get into the name of your nonprofit here in just a moment. But when you see what's happened in these last few years, someone from your perspective, these rising numbers, what keeps you in that fight, Colleen? And how do you think Minnesota is faring when it comes to opioid use and this disease of addiction? You know, I, I there are days definitely when I feel very defeated in this sphere and in this advocacy work. But I can say that if I if I step back and I look at the big picture, there has been some really wonderful progress in certain areas. Um, if the drug dealers uh, weren't so savvy. We'd, we'd be well on our way to addressing this. But the fact of the matter is, you know, we have a market in the, in the United States. We are, have probably offered the largest demand for, for purchasing substances than any other country in terms of our 
consumption. So I, I like working in this area simply because I know how important it is. I know that Luke, you know, struggled. And maybe if somebody, you know, maybe if some of the stigma and the shame and the misunderstanding around this disease wasn't so intense back then, maybe he could have navigated his recovery more successfully. Um, But the young people who work with me, who are sharing their stories of, of how they, how easily you can get swept up in substance use disorder and, and substance use and how quickly it can take over your life and how hard it is to turn your life around. And then I see how amazing they are because they have turned their lives around. It's a real gift for me. It's, it's really a wonderful thing to witness and to then to see them sharing their story with other young people who that's really how it's got to be done. I mean, lecturing young people is not effective. It never has been. But if they are hearing from their friends um, they or, or people they consider to be their peers, people close in age to them, there's a level of trust um, and there's a, a level of willingness to accept what they're saying as, as real truths and not just a parent or an adult trying to direct them in a certain way. So I think it's, it's effective. And, you know, fentanyl is so prevalent now with young people and the pandemic over the last couple of years has really put young people in a, in a situation where they're navigating mental health issues um, and trying to escape the stress of the world. It's kind of a hateful place right now. And so I think that there's much more of an inclination for young people to use substances to escape that. It's, it's very um, acceptable, I think, in a lot of younger groups of, of teenagers and certainly in college kids. So it's not really a, you know, young people are going to encounter substance use at some point period. That's just a fact of life these days. Even if they're not using it, they probably have friends who are using substances. So if we can give kids tools that help them understand what their risks are, and we give them tools that help them respond if a crisis were to occur, or give them resources so that they can help, you know, get help or reach out to somebody when they need to, that that's just that's a really big step forward, I think. And anything I can do to move that along, I'm, I'm, I will work 24-7 to see that happen. And those tools are, are coming through this nonprofit that you started, Change the Outcome is the name. And you're sharing about that education piece. I know we've been able to see you in action in classrooms before, but, you know, even more importantly, you're saying, you know, bringing in... Um, those kids in many cases that are sharing their stories to, to other kids curriculum that otherwise many would never even know about. And in some cases, you know, you need this out there before it is too late because one time can be too many. Well, yeah. And you know what? I mean, our schools are so encumbered with a million things, especially right now. And so it, it's, it's almost impossible for somebody who works in this realm every day to keep, 
up on top of what the changes are. Three years ago, we were not talking about fentanyl or pressed pills or counterfeit pills. That just wasn't a thing here in the state of Minnesota. So to expect health teachers um, to be able to implement that into their health curriculum, it's just, it's nearly impossible. We're changing what we are teaching month to month. Um, And and it's a gift to be able to do that because you can always give kids real-time information. Um, a lot of schools are using health curriculum in terms of their, their drug units that, that in some cases are 12 years old or three years old. They just can't keep up. So we're in a wonderful position, and, and we've been fortunate enough after five years of working in this, um, on this project We got some state funding through the Opioid Epidemic Advisory Council, and we are able to go into schools if we're invited into schools and present in classrooms or auditoriums. So I hope that anybody who's listening to this who is interested in bringing our program to their school that they would get go onto our website at changetheoutcome.org and and go to the contact thing and say, hey, we'd, we'd really like to hear more about your program and possibly host a community event or bring you into our classrooms because that's what we're here for. And that's what you want to do, go to as many places as possible. It says on that website that uh, since November of 2017, you've spoken to over 50,000 students, educators, parents, community members, and even that state grant that you mentioned there, Colleen, I know you were awarded um, that finally, after fighting for it for quite some time, but awarded that money on a sad anniversary for your family. You know, and that is when I know that Luke is still here with me every step of the way, because yes, six years in, on the day that Luke passed away, almost to the minute is when I got the news that I was being awarded this grant. So I know Luke is still making moves here, and and I'm sure he was saying, okay, Mom, I know you're getting tired, but now here's some, some steam. Let's keep going. So I'm, I'm very grateful. And those signs, you know, any parent who's lost a child is always looking for those signs, but when they're that in your face, you know, they're pretty hard to deny. And we call those flybys or, or winks, and it's always nice to get a wink from Luke. Oh, gosh. For sure. I know a more recent fight um, that you've <laughs> you kind of insert yourself with these these different things, which is uh, why I just uh, you know think think the world of you. And I think so many parents um, are so appreciative of all the work you're doing, too. But getting Narcan in schools, you were talking to me about um, this, but sadly, kids are actually overdosing at school in some cases. And you've found that not many districts um, have this have life-saving measures uh, on site. We have 333 school districts in the state of Minnesota, and we have 12 school districts that have Narcan policies or protocols in their schools. Now, we have a major epidemic of, I mean, overdoses are the leading cause of death for people under 50 years old. That's a big chunk of the population, right? So that's even more than cancer or heart disease for, you know, for older adults. But for young kids, it is the number one leading cause of death. And yet we don't have a simple tool in our schools that can reverse an overdose. Um, We don't have an epidemic of arsonists or 
or people going into anaphylactic shock or having heart attacks. But we have all those tools in schools at a great cost. Um, Narcan is not expensive. And I'm working really hard to get schools to adopt, well, legislation, if not to require at least to allow schools to have Narcan in their buildings. Um, it's, it's frustrating to me that it would take so long, but, but that's kind of the way it's been always with this fight. And I kind of, you keep using the word fighter. I kind of feel tough. Um, you should. The, yeah. the, the whole idea that we don't have that and that schools, schools perce- think that there will be some perceived stain on their district if they have that in their buildings. Um, but I can tell you that, you know, the, it's not as big a stain as if you have a student who dies in your building because you didn't have a, a $15, you know, medication to reverse an overdose. So it, this is really a simple, it's really a no brainer. And if you want to see, I mean, you look across the country and the national news where you, kids in middle schools are overdosing and they have no tools and those, those young people die. That's, that's happening here in Minnesota. I mean, just a 13-year-old girl who overdosed at a Twin Cities middle school. Yes, um, middle schools, high schools, and and they're not reported because they're, you know, they're that's private information. Um, they're juveniles. So not that it should be reported in one sense, but we need to be able to respond. And I don't think that schools see how important that is. And I sadly, I don't think they will until somebody dies. And that's too late. That's too late to do something. So let's be prepared. You know, let's not continuously respond after something awful has happened. Let's be prepared and ready to take action so somebody doesn't lose their life. And I think that's a great point too. Keeping something a secret can be dangerous in in some cases. Especially in this realm. Yeah. Right, right. I know you also um, have a couple events uh, coming up that that you're a part of, but let's first talk about this fentanyl awareness rally coming up this summer, Colleen. Yeah, you know, uh, I have met amazing people in this work, and and sadly, way too many parents who, like me, have lost their child. So there's a mom who um, used to live in Stillwater. Now they live up in Lindstrom, but they lost their son Tyler. Um, a year and a half ago, it'll be two years in July, and she is holding a fentanyl awareness rally at the state capitol on July 18th, really just to try and bring people together and talk about this, maybe make some, you know, anybody who, like moms like me, we want to make some noise. You know, what can we do that will get people's attention? Because when you just hear it on the news, you think, oh, that'll never happen to me. I don't really need to pay attention. So if we can do things that that help educate people, that is the goal. And and then it, it saves lives. It reduces, you know, overdoses. It reverses overdoses. All of those educational tools are just so important. So, yes, there's a um, the rally is at the Basilica. If it rains that day, we um, she has space in the rotunda that people can go. But it's from one to three. And you also have an event you're planning for this fall. Yes, October 6th at the Basilica. So anybody who ever saw the movie Wild 
or read the book written by Cheryl Strayed. Um, it was played, um, Reese Witherspoon played Cheryl in this in the film. She's the gal who walked the Pacific Trail. Um, but Cheryl Strayed was lived in Minnesota for many years. She graduated from the University of Minnesota, um, began a heroin addiction while she was a student at the U and um, went on to write a book and that told her story. So I, she's been very inspirational to me in terms of how you heal. And, and I think she is to people who have struggled with, with substance use disorder, or maybe are struggling. I mean, you look at what she's done with her life and how, what her life looks like now. It's, it's really amazing. And that is possible for anybody to have that big, beautiful life after, after, you know, use it, you can have it. Well, thank, thank you, Colleen. Keep making that noise. It certainly makes a difference. Thank you very much. I appreciate your help in getting this information out to people. So anybody who wants to go to the website and check out, get resources, learn a little bit more, it's all there and they can they can ask for, for a program to be in their school or in their community. I thank you very much, Liz. You know I always appreciate your help with this stuff. Right back at you. Colleen Ronnie, founder of Change the Outcome. Thanks again for being here, Colleen, and for continuing to speak out. Thank you. That'll do it for this episode of Liz Collin Reports. We'll be back soon to keep meaningful Minnesota conversations going. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, follow on Spotify, or any other podcast platform. To stay up to date on all things Alpha News, sign up for our free daily newsletter on our website. It's one daily email where you'll see, you can listen, and you can view our videos all right there on that newsletter. We've got all the media forms covered. Thanks again for tuning in. We'll see you next time.